0: Get Offset Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. And I'm Layla. Woo. Now I know what you all are thinking. Zachary has changed. I'm kidding. He's, he couldn't make it tonight. But uh, my good friend Layla, who is an excellent guitar builder, was gracious enough to join us instead. Thank Thanks for having me. Of course. We're glad that we could, we could fit you in before you go to your next guitar show. Yeah. For those of of you who don't know, Layla is the founder of Tunatone Instruments, and she builds some really beautiful guitars. and i'm I feel very lucky she's gonna be building me one. I should like for your build, Emily. <laughs> I'm stoked. So um just to bring it back to uh, a big theme of our podcast, I have to ask you, why did you name your company Tunatone?
1: Well, that's a very good question and there's a really technical answer actually. Um my cat's name is Tuna and actually my house's name is Tunatown. So it only made sense for my guitars to somehow be called Tunatone. And
2: I don't suppose your cat looks a bit like John Krasinski?
1: Oh, sorry. I don't I I'm I don't pick up on that reference.
2: It's a, Oh, it's a reference to The Office. There's a character in The Office, uh Jim Halpert, yeah. and he's referred to by my personal favorite character Andy Bernard Oh, Big Tuna. Yes.
1: No, actually Tuna, my Tuna is like a little Tuna. She's like she's really compact and she's super fierce and an outdoor cat, so she's like she's small and she's got short legs, but she's <laughs> Super fierce. Like if a cat could have a six pack, like tuna. Would be- <laughs> it's
2: like
0: oh, a six pack tuna. Tuna loaf. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: actually, you know, you know the part on a cat, like on their belly, that sort of like it's like a little bit of a floor sweeper. Like sometimes, like
0: there's like that's a little
1: Yeah. Okay. So I looked it up, and that's actually called a primordial pouch. And what it is, it's because when cats are fighting, they're up on their hind legs and they're scratching each other. And it's actually like a second layer of skin that is Anatomically, just there since birth, in order to basically protect their organs in case, you know, in a fight they're gashed. And some of my friends say that tuna has a primordial six pack instead.
0: <laughs>
2: That's exactly why I'm a little overweight. It's just in case I get mugged, right? Yeah, so,
0: so if I yes. get stabbed, that you know, it's not going to get anything important.
2: Aha! Your plan has been foiled by all of the six packs that contributed to this lack of six pack
0: i think we call those a, a pony keg it's a little keg <laughs> or if you're in ohio we call um drive throughs uh pony kegs like the drive through where you buy your pony keg is called a pony keg
2: classic <laughs> i appreciate it not being like a, a a giant horse keg so you know in the midwest like i, I like every time i go to the midwest i feel skinny and i come back to like the west coast i, I don't
0: Same. So. Same. Oh, different food in the Midwest, Layla. You got to go to the Midwest.
1: And I haven't traveled enough through the through the states, honestly.
0: You don't need to go to the Midwest, Layla. (laughs) Actually, Minneapolis is great. I'll be going there in about a month to see a friend. I've heard Minneapolis is really cool. It is. They have this big um, sculpture park. And it has a big Mm -hmm. cherry spoon bridge, which you just have to Google. And they have this tree, and this tree has a bunch of wind chimes in it, and they're all playing all the notes from one song. So you stand underneath it, you're just being like flanked by music. It's pretty cool. And then they have a giant blue chicken statue that's well it's a rooster. It's a I mean, it's a big blue cock, and Andrew, you can bleep that out. It's literally called The Word was
2: attended for its original academic purpose.
0: It's it's literally called Big Blue Cock. I think, but I digress. Is this a guitar? Is this a guitar podcast or is it a big blue cock podcast? No.
2: It's a cats <laughs> podcast where we talk about cat-themed guitars exclusively.
0: Oh man. So Layla has the best cat-themed guitars around. <laughs>
1: And actually I was thinking about, I was talking to a friend the other day about, you know, whether or not I should add like a little about tuna um, kind of tab on my website. And, you know, on, it kind of makes sense that the answer should probably be no, but at the same time I really would like to do that just as an excuse to file through all my photos of her and find like the cutest ones. Um, But then I just think like, you know, she's this, she's this sort of this, this small creature, but she's also fierce. She has a lot of attack. She's robust. Um, but she's also, you know, she's beautiful, but not fancy. And I just think, yeah i think that all these things could actually apply to the guitars i make so i feel like i should probably write something and put it on the website
0: having picked up your guitar i i, I fully agree mm-hmm. and didn't you just i think today you just posted a picture of how much your guitar weighs less than six pounds that's a yeah, less than six pounds it's
1: yeah, it's two, 2.4... Well, I guess you don't work in kilos, but yeah, it's like 2.46 it's, yeah, kilos. Yeah, like
0: 5.8 pounds or something. Yeah, Which yeah, Which I yeah. know that if exactly. you buy a lightweight guitar body, those are usually six pounds mm-hmm. just for the body.
1: Right, no hardware, no neck, but yours neck
0: are neck. under six pounds. They don't have neck dive. They're very comfortable. They're not... They're really not that small. Like, they don't feel like a toy.
1: No, my goal was to make them, like, a little bit more compact very similar to tuna she's only slightly smaller than a regular adult cat um but only slightly smaller than like let's say a a strat or something like that maybe like two or three inches shorter than a regular sort of strat um but yeah, just that I feel makes a little bit of a difference. Without yeah, like you say, being cartoonish or being feeling like an instrument that's not serious. Like it, it still I think feels like a serious. It's not instrument. a
2: first act, and it's very apparent.
1: Yeah,
0: do they have first act guitars in Canada?
1: No, actually, I don't know if they do.
0: They're little like ninety nine dollars guitars that you buy in like um, a Walmart.
1: Exclusively
2: at Walmart. Yeah. what
0: yeah. oh, was. <laughs> Is the is the first act guitar
1: the the Walmart guitar that you got, Emily? And uh...
0: it is. I bought I bought a loaded body first act for um, I think it was marked for twenty dollars, and I ended up spending fifteen bucks on it because I'm like I don't I don't twenty dollars like this. I have fifteen dollars like this. <laughs> um, stripped it, repainted it, put a better pickup in it, and uh, it, it's everyone's like it's just beautiful you know it sounds fine really it's like some people like the these weird like plasticky like you know a first act guitar when you see it because the pickups are very unique they're very plasticky and they kind of are almost um oval shaped but uh yeah it's uh it's fine i think my friend mostly hangs it on the wall as art in her little her little vikings minneapolis corner (laughs) it does look like a vikings helmet yeah But those are first act guitars, and I think um, I think there are a lot of artists who have signature first act models or something.
2: Adam Levine.
0: Adam Levine, but Paul Westerberg of the Replacements has his own first act model, and he actually plays that. thing.
1: Wow, that's wild!
0: Yeah, that's Minneapolis punk rock. It's <laughs> like a it's like a Minneapolis themed episode. I'm so sorry I didn't plan this. So, Layla, I know that you and I had a very long conversation up in Vancouver. That was a lot of fun. It was
1: so nice, yeah, that was a really nice evening
0: yeah one thing one thing I really thought was interesting that um that we talked about was your philosophy when it came to building and using resources and I thought it'd be really cool if you could just talk to us a little bit about that
1: yeah, i so I guess like my guitars are kind of inspired by sort of vintage and catalog guitars from like the 1960s, like in America and in Japan. Like I really just love Dan Electros and Silvertones and Ks and, um, and the Tyskos. Pardon me?
2: And the Taisco's? Yes.
1: I love Taisco guitars. And, um, Anyway, so like something that I really love about those guitars at that time was that they had this kind of like, they were super futuristic, right? Like they were, um, yeah, just their shapes and materials, like they just kind of spoke to this like future. And now when you kind of look at them, you sort of see like that they, they were kind of speaking to this like to this future, but still sort of like limited to... Um, the materials and like the processes of manufacturing that existed at the time. And I think there's just such beauty in being able to look at an instrument that somebody was thinking about in this like futuristic way, but is also really kind of settled into the time that it was actually made. And it started, I don't know, I guess it started me thinking about just manufacturing and what, like, I guess what, like that future that they were speaking to is kind of our present now. And, but I'm, I'm sort of inspired by the limits that they sort of ran into in terms of uh, the materials that were available and like the manufacturing processes that, that were available to them, to like builders at that time. And um, so I also come from And a a province in Canada called Alberta that um, has, like, one of the world's largest or the world's largest industrial project, which is the Alberta tar sands. Um, And the entire economy, I mean, even federally, is sort of, of, I guess, organized, like, around uh, and reliant on, um, on these Alberta tar sands. And they've, you know, anyway, the province and the nation have done a very bad job of uh, diversifying. And so there's a lot. So in the city that I live in, even though it's not the point of extraction, it's the it's the largest city close to the point of extraction. Um, there's a ton of manufacturing that happens here. And so... Um, I so what I've started to do is I've started to get really interested in not just designing like sort of the shapes of, you know, the body or the headstock or things like that but starting to kind of get interested in in making my own sort of bridges and um even like the mechanics around like, you know, this sort of thing and um like around parts and anyway or like neck plates tail pieces like all that kind of stuff. And so just thinking about yeah, just thinking about I guess the limitations or what's available like today. Um I'm kind of interested in using like materials that I'm not shipping over borders or anything like that that I'm able to find locally like in town. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I'm often kind of like running around to industrial areas in the city like you know, buying brass or like, you know, getting to know people who work in steel manufacturing sites to like get parts made like this sort of thing, just trying to like localize that sort of building, not for this, not in this sort of uh, philosophy around, you know, I don't know, like similar to like eating local necessarily, but almost as like a, almost as like a similar kind of limitation to manufacturing as people in the 1960s, for example, would have kind of run into um, when designing still these like, you know, super futuristic instruments.
2: Well, a lot of those, a lot of those guitars were made in Japanese factories and a few of them have just come to become, reach this legendary status, but it's not, I mean, just in general, the heavy machinery, a lot of the, I mean, routing had to be done by hand for instance. And so it was my understanding.
1: Yeah, and there was lots of, like, I mean, just looking at the instruments, I can see that um, there's lots of, it. like, you mentioned Tysco guitars, like, there's so much metal on those guitars sometimes, like, just, like, like, an incredible amount I'm of metal, and I'm just, yeah, it's like, I, I've, yeah, I've gotten interested in sort of learning about kind of casting metal, and I made myself a little forge at one point, and, <laughs> and sort of melted down like an old bicycle rim to see about you know could I cast things out of aluminum and things like that but anyways I wasn't able to do it in a super refined way so um so I you know started using brass and steel instead but um yeah but I think all of it's really cool
2: yeah definitely so if you're sourcing things locally like what kind of woods are available in Alberta I, I haven't been there and so I I, mean, I know that Canada is just covered yeah, totally in
1: I, I actually read an article today uh, unfortunately um, is stating that uh, Canada is one of um, the top countries in the world responsible for deforestation um, and uh, that old-growth forests are still sort of getting chopped down all over the place but um, this light guitar that um, that I um, that I posted about today and the one that Emily you played um I, I was just using, like, I used spruce, which grows here, but I, I use it because it grew spruce, which um, I believe is, like, more sort of in B.C., um, and walnut, and then the fingerboard is uh, robinia, or Black locust, which um, is is sort of native to North America, but uh, none of these woods are really sort of like native to Alberta specifically. Um, but uh, robinia sort of grows around like the in the southern states, like around the Appalachian mountains, basically.
0: But you and I talked about how things like rosewood used to be such a plentiful wood and just were
1: yeah brazilian rosewood in particular and i mean and indian rosewood then sort of like you know was the stand in or whatever and um now it's on the cites list as of uh, january 2018 it was put on it was put on the cites list um yeah there
2: i worked um, at, i worked for guitar center that time and i cannot tell you how many questions i got about that and what that meant for people who wanted rosewood and i you would not believe how many people were upset that that meant Rosewood was going to be less available.
1: Yeah. Isn't that like, like, isn't that such a funny thing to be upset about in the sense that for me, what's upsetting is deforestation is the fact that, you know, Rosewood, I mean, it, it is, you know, to work with it, to work with it in the shop is something like quite special because it's so fragrant, but it's also deforested because it's used for perfume. Um and, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I and um, Indian rosewood in particular, and um, I like to be upset about not being able to have that as a fingerboard, versus being upset about you know capitalism or about you know about like like why this is even happening, like why right. you know trees are endangered in the first place, like the economic systems that you know that that make that possible i i don't know and i mean
0: obviously you can you can get that color with other woods
1: yeah and and actually so have you guys uh have you guys uh like sort of i don't know like are you familiar with um uh with rock light they make Uh oh yeah so they it's if you look it up online they unfortunately have a pretty cryptic sort of description of what this material is but um they make something called Ibano, which is um which is basically a black wood that you can you can use for fingerboards for binding for all this stuff it has a similar hardness to ebony um But my understanding is that, so it's not ebony, so it's not on the CITES list, but my understanding is that they use um, woods that are, like, abundant and sort of equally, like, hard and make a kind of composite that is, that has, like, a grain pattern because there's wood involved in the process. Um, But uh, I think there's, like, there's some kind of, like, like, binding process, like an adhesion process. You know, for this wood that they use, but um, I made a fingerboard out of it recently. That was like, I mean, it's really gorgeous. It's really nice to use. Lots of luthiers use this stuff, and they're actually they've recently come out with a second product, which um, basically is like a is like a rosewood replacement, so that again you can have um, a fingerboard or binding or whatever that is like a comparable hardness and aesthetically looks very similar to rosewood but it's mm-hmm. not like it's it's not on the sighties list and it's not sort of yeah it's it's not like it's not using an endangered kind of species of tree right or like that yeah
0: and to be honest i would think that 99 percent of the humans in the world could barely tell the difference if at all
1: oh i i would yes like 99 plus
0: yeah yeah <laughs> it's just one of those things. You know, people have their ideas about, you know, well, this guitar had that, so it must be, you know, the be all end all. And that's what I want. People, I think, want very much what their idols played. Like, I think a lot of people want that. I mean, I play Jazz Masters because Elvis Costello played a Jazz Master. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you're you're really into specs, you'd be like, oh, well, he had that beautiful walnut body and that rosewood neck and blah, 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 blah," fretboard. And uh, I don't know. I just could never get that. it's funny um, because I did a video for Eastwood a while back and I didn't even talk about Tonewood, but I just said the word Tonewood. And the only negative comment I got on that video was some guy who wrote, disliked because of Tonewood. So obviously it's not as in vogue as it was before or people maybe have different opinions about it. But there are people who believe that Tonewood matters and there's people who believe it doesn't.
2: I think of all the parts of an electric guitar, when it really comes down to it, I think, this is obviously not the same for an acoustic guitar, but for an electric guitar, the wood I think has the least amount of impact of all of the other components. Not saying it doesn't have an impact, but, because obviously like if you play a basswood guitar versus an alder guitar uh, with a string through body, the, the sustain is going to be notably different. But, I mean, you there it's not as much of a difference as the pickups or as the strings or the tuners, all of the above. Uh, the way I like to think about the, the sites the sites list is, uh, uh, I have a, a plant in on my porch. It's a mint plant and I like to make tea with it. Now, if I were to have everybody that I know come over and also have some tea, uh, I would f- kill the entire plant, and assuming that it's the only mint plant on the face of the planet, once it's gone, it's gone. And so, if I if I just make myself tea every once in a while, I have to let it grow back and to maintain the healthy status. Then that's what I've got to do to continue enjoying mint tea. But if we keep going, this mint tea is going to be gone for good, and that's kind of a problem because then nobody gets
0: it. I think that people don't quite understand the idea of of once something is gone it's gone or you have to wait a very long time for it to come back because most people don't grow up on like farms like they don't understand the idea of you know if you plant corn every single year even though it's a big cash crop you will annihilate the soil you have to rotate your crops and you have to be patient and you have to do this and you have to do that you can't over farm your land because if you do it's worthless for years and you have to Burn and get to do crazy things, but unless you're just... Monsanto,
2: but that's a different thing altogether. Unless you're what? M- Monsanto. Monsanto.
1: Oh right, yeah, Monsanto. Sure,
0: I'm not familiar.
1: Oh, just um, Monsanto is like, a, I mean, it's a huge. They they just they changed the name, uh, or they bought into a different company. Uh, What was that name now? But anyway, Monsanto is this, uh, I mean, just like a pure evil um, international conglomerate that's basically, um, that's basically like changed the face of agriculture permanently and like, and food sort of permanently. So they have these like horrible practices of um, essentially sort of, um, essentially sort of, you know, force like of uh of patenting seeds which is like kind of incredible cuz how can you patent a thing of nature but um they have this thing where they sort of patent seeds um and then
0: farmers are essentially forced to uh, Pay for it because it spreads into their, into their lands. Right. Yes, exactly. So Yeah. yeah, to like
1: purchase those seeds in, you know, to the tune of like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars per year. Um, but then also to, uh, buy their, their pesticides, which is Roundup. Um, and yeah, if there's like a single seed, this like patented seed that, you know, flies from one one farm to another, if Monsanto finds that seed like in a different field and that farmer didn't pay for that sort of that... um for that seed because it's patented and Monsanto owns it there it's basically considered theft and like farmers have there was um a really notable story in Canada where that happened and um he like this this farmer essentially had to burn all of his crops like in that entire year because it was um because he'd be sort of like like his stealing their corn would basically be ruined yeah like his his entire livelihood like for many many years would be would be ruined just because like they found evidence of monsanto like seeds on his farm but like that could have happened in the wind right
2: i mean that'd be like if you sneezed on me and then i had to like burn all my guitars
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um yeah, anyway, they're I mean it, they're they're too evil to be able to sort of condense into a slow elevator ride. Um they're just so awful. And actually they recently changed their name because their name is associated with that uh, they changed their name,
2: they also just merged with a giant pharma company. So
1: Yay. Right, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But I do I do have to agree with you, um, Andrew, like what you were saying before about um like or or this sort of idea of tone wood. I mean, I think, you know, there is a time I, I'm not really a guitar player. And so when I started building guitars, I just started doing like a boatload of research, basically. And so some of the research that I was doing, like if I was curious about a particular technique or this sort of thing. And this was like before I sort of um, had a community of like, you know, high quality builders around me that I could like ask questions to. Um, but uh, I would look on like sort of internet forums and this kind of thing just to like see what people were thinking. And I mean, it's like kind of incredible. Like there's, you know, I don't know <laughs> there's, you know, you, I, I remember sort of typing into a forum, something about using milk paint as a, you know, as a, as a, finish or as part of a finish for a guitar and you know people asking questions like oh yeah like how does milk paint affect the tone of the guitar and I just thought like never mind like huh. never mind like I'm just gonna like x out of this like tab right. or whatever because to me like what a ridiculous question like yeah of course everything affects tone everything affects tone but the question is not you know, does it affect tone? The question is, how significantly does it affect tone? And you're right. Like there's certain things that are very significantly going to affect tone, like pickups, but also even just like the execution or construction of a, you know, of the instrument, like the materials that are chosen, like all this kind of stuff. And and not even materials as in, you know, is it Brazilian rosewood versus Indian rosewood? It's like, um, just like, like the sort of quality of the wood or, you know, this sort of thing. Like, I think all those things do are going to affect the tone, like more significantly than some things that, you know, people on forums just get really hung up on. And I think they get hung up on them based on what you were talking about, Emily, which is this attachment to history, like attachment to the guitars that their idols played. And there's this idea that, yeah, You know, because like their favorite musician played this guitar, it means that, you know, uh, it means that an ash body is better than an alder body. Well, is it like, (laughs) like is that really the logic? And I personally don't think so.
0: And is that the thing you're going to notice, or are you going to notice the weight? Are you mostly the weight, the balance? I mean, it can affect those things for sure, but I mean, it's just it's not going to be a noticeable difference. There's no way, but quality, the quality is definitely what matters from start to finish. I agree. Yeah. But speaking, speaking of builders, you know, I think that a lot of people in the guitar community, especially people who spend a lot of time in gear groups and people who talk about boutique builders, I think that they could name a lot of builders I'm not sure how many women they could name who are builders. And I think it's sort of funny. And I don't know if it's that as a woman, I sought out women who build guitars because you're always looking for that representation, but I'm sure that someone asked, said to you or I, Oh, there's aren't very many women who build guitars. I think that you and I could be like, well, there's Meredith, there's Megan, there's Layla, there's plenty of women who build guitars. So it's just, it's, Did you, did you go through that kind of similar experience where you were looking for other women who did this thing that you wanted to do? Most definitely. Like I kind of like sought out women and people of color,
1: um, of which I'm both, um, that were building just because I was kind of, I guess, like you know curious about or looking for some sort of like kinship i suppose like in you know in a like like you say there there are there are people who are building and at the same time like we very much you know make up a minority of um the guitar building world so i most definitely like you know thought people out like over instagram and this kind of thing and i'm super inspired by like I mean, so many women builders. Um, and I'm really, honestly, like, I. so I, y- you were there, Emily. I went to my first guitar show in Vancouver, and I got to meet, like, three um, women guitar builders that I was, like, sort of following and, and um, really admire their work, Megan Wells and Meredith Coloma and um, Nicole L. Lazenak. And um, I, I feel, and then there's also, like, you know, other, like, like quite a number of super high, you know, high quality acoustic builders, um, who build Linda, Linda Manser being one of them. Um, Mm. but, uh, I, like I, it, it sort of occurred to me. So I had like quite a good experience at that, at the guitar show. Um, I felt like my, you know, work was well-received and all this kind of stuff, but it was really cool to sort of share a space with these other women. Um, realizing like, like Megan and Meredith in particular just are these builders who I think have kind of like paved a way for somebody like me because they, produce super high quality instruments and have sort of like and there's women before them as well who have sort of like like done this work and I think I don't know like I it was really cool to sort of enter a space like that and not feel like I was being you know put under a microscope basically for
0: or that you were a token yes yeah that's that's a thing that at at guitar shows that has kind of been an experience I have had. Okay. Um, uh, just that so there aren't a lot of women at them, but then if there are female performers, there is maybe one. Mm-hmm. Is that that would be like a lot for some of them? But it's nice to see. And I don't know if it's because Meredith is one of the people in charge of of the Vancouver Guitar Show. I mean, I sent an email to them about um, a, a workshop I went to, and she's the one who responded. Right, yeah, she's like she's definitely a main organizer
1: of the festival.
0: Yeah. So it felt really cool to I feel like you can tell when there are women in charge. I think that just the their presence adds a lot of diversity, a completely different way of thinking about everything from the curriculum to the workshops, to the performers, to the exhibitors, to the people who actually go, to the price point maybe even. Totally. Yeah. It's funny because women have been a part of guitar building since forever. I mean, during World War II, all the men were at war. So Gibson had to make guitars. So they hired a bunch of women to make them in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, those Kalamazoo's are still sought after. They're great instruments. I played one or two. And Unique and Fender had women winding their pickups. And the idea was that women have smaller hands so that they can they can wind everything a lot better, so we've it's it's the kind of thing where we've always been there, but just not front and center. My husband is a developer, and he learned how to code at one of those you know coding schools programs, and they have this big wall on just right when you walk in, and it's all of these famous coders through history and especially in Seattle, and they're having some like happy hour or something and I'm looking at the wall and I'm looking through and I'm counting the women on the wall and there are women on there but they're like in the background they're not named and a guy comes up to me and he he, we're talking I'm like the problem with this wall is that there are no women on it who are named and he said well you know they're probably just there just weren't a lot of women back then And and I said yeah I mean they were there they were there probably in larger numbers than they are on this wall just because they're not in the pictures it doesn't mean they weren't there
2: history gets written by people in power and that's probably the biggest flaw with history in general
0: i mean ada Lovelace literally invented coding
1: you know it's so i mean it's so interesting like you know i mean one kind of magazine and, and um, online presence that i like have so much respect for is she shreds and like there's yeah there's this entire thing that they've created like around again, like just sort of like giving voice, you know, currently, but also historically to so many women, queer and non-binary folks who have like, who have been super important, like players, you know, but just completely erased. And I mean, it's like, I think we all sort of have to question like why, you know,
0: who's why did it take so long for Sister Rosetta Tharp who invented rock and roll, to get into the Rock right. and Roll Hall of Fame? Like how? Yeah. You, have you ever heard the phrase "cotton picking" for guitar? Uh, not for guitar. I know. Andrew, have you heard that phrase "cotton picking"?
2: I don't think I have.
0: Oh man! Well, Elizabeth Cotton had a very unique style of playing, and her style of picking was referred to as "cotton picking." Huh. Yeah, hmm. a woman was the first human as far as anybody knows who was who had a video taken of her playing the steel guitar slide guitar like women have been at the forefront of guitar culture since forever
1: so like i just like one question that sort of comes to mind i suppose is like you know we 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 live in a you know quote unquote sort of like more progressive kind of society we um we have access to the internet and sort of learning you know about all this stuff but I think that like you were saying when you were talking about sort of going on a forum and saying who are you know who are women guitar builders and people saying like I don't know um I like I I just I wonder about like culturally speaking not sort of necessarily the people in this room but like um but culturally speaking like like why are we so comfortable with that erasure? And like, like, what will make us uncomfortable with that erasure, so that things actually kind of change in a more broad sense? Like the people looking out for it, you know, are going to find she shreds or are going to find like these builders who are building or
2: right, right, you know,
1: women who
0: you're going to you're you're going to look for your community to be to for that part of belonging. But are you going to look to see like? really dig to see what have I missed though like where are these gaps in my knowledge and experiences and that's ultimately what makes a person grow not finding that safe space I mean you can say that women are always in this uncomfortable zone I think if you're a woman and you get into music and you start playing guitar you're putting yourself in this uncomfortable zone so then you have to retreat and to find those 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 communities of people who share your experiences but men the culture as a whole is their comfortable zone. And you can tell some men are just so great with being called out for saying something gross or bad. I mean, I'm glad that most of like the Facebook groups I'm in, there was a guy who made a a hashtag me too joke for something where he just meant like, I also don't like pineapple on pizza or something. And I just responded with a gif of like a cat saying, no. And he immediately was like, you're right. That was a bad joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. But then there are the guys who will say that you saying the F word is as bad as just rampant misogyny, which is wrong. Like if that's if you're if if you can equate um, an adult woman saying the F word with just terrible misogynistic comments about women, then your priorities are bad
2: well i mean speaking from a man's perspective um i'm not used to having my comfort challenged and even as someone who really cares about other folks and is someone who tries to be very mindful of that and is constantly looking to improve and to expand my outlook on life and humanity and the human condition all that all that you know, it, it kind of bothers me some on a personal level and my my jerk reaction is like, "Excuse me? What did you just say about me?" or like, "You're trying to take what from me? This is mine." And like that's just kind of my gut reaction that at why it that is, I don't know, but I know that's kind of what my gut jumps to immediately with this kind of stuff.
0: I mean, I think white women can get into that sort of protective knee jerk sort of reaction when um, you know, you talk about the idea of white feminism and uh, feminism that isn't inclusive to to women of color. I mean, you hear that that's that fact all the time that women make seventy five percent of what a man makes, but women of color make a lot less. Black women make maybe sixty five percent. Latino women make like fifty percent. Yeah, like that's like it's worse than that. Like it's bad, and I think that if as a white woman, if you're not thinking about that. Yeah, you have a lot of disadvantages. I have a lot of, you know, I've experienced a lot of sexism, but I haven't experienced sexism and racism. And they are both just atrocious. And a lot of women have to experience both. And it sucks. So sometimes white women get super defensive when like a black woman calls them out. You know what? Just listen. Take feedback. Not personally, but as a chance to be introspective and, you know, maybe that, that gut reaction is to say, well, screw you. Like, what do you know about me? I'm a good person. But like, if somebody says something that like that to me, even if that's my first reaction, I got to bottle it up. I got to process. I got to think about what I did to hurt somebody. Cause if I hurt somebody, like I don't get to say, no, I didn't hurt you. Totally, that's mm-hmm. just not how it works i mean yeah there's a term for that right is
1: is uh white fragility and like there's i mean yes dude i can't even sort of start on that but there's so many amazing articles online all about it but uh but yeah no i hear what you're i i hear what you're saying emily and i i i agree that it is about like sort of, you know, not necessarily denying that first response of defensiveness, but like recognizing that it is a first response and not like the only response or not like the ultimate response. (laughs) And then sort of like taking time to like process and learn and like figure out your feelings not with that person that's kind of like called you in, but, um, but. Maybe- and that
0: it's not that person's job to then answer every single yeah. one of your follow-up questions. I'm sorry. Like I, I can't, that's enough mo- emotional labor. Like yeah. I'm mm-hmm. like guys message me all the time who have, I, they really do like pedal builders message me. Sometimes guitar builders message me. Sometimes people who run gear groups message me. And sometimes they'll ask about like, oh, how can we make this better for women? Or what's your perspective as a woman? I'm like, I get it. That's coming from the right place. I'm going to always answer their questions as long as they're sincere. But like, I can see how that would get so exhausting. Okay. So quickly. On that note, uh, this one's run a little bit long. So we're probably going to get going. But Layla, thanks so much for for being a part of a part of our podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right.
2: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All
0: right. It. Thanks, everybody who listened, and we'll see you all soon.
2: Indeed. See you next time.
0: All right. Bye. Bye. From the Get Offset Podcast, thank you so much as always for listening to this week's episode with Layla City of Tuna Tone Instruments. Um, Layla is just such an incredible guitar builder. I feel so lucky to call her a friend and to have been um, able to to try out her, her newest instrument, which she's been calling the Tiny Tuna at the Vancouver Guitar Festival earlier in 2018. Um, uh, Like we usually do for episodes where we have guest hosts, please, in addition to liking Get Offset on the social media channels, please go and follow Layla, at least on Instagram. She not only posts pictures of her beautiful instruments, she posts videos of her cat, Tuna, And she does these really cool sort of um, videos uh, of of her building and they just kind of go on a loop and they're really hypnotic and there are a few that I've watched maybe 10 times before I realized that I'm just watching a 10 second loop over and over. So if that's something that you're into, she does that, it's pretty great. Um, If you need more Layla, and I get that, we have a bonus episode on the way that is just Layla and I talking. And uh, if you liked this, I think you'll like that. If you didn't like this, you should still listen to it. Um, because, I mean, I think it was a, a fun, fun conversation to have. And uh, I hope you agree. Um, please review the podcast. Please subscribe um please leave us feedback on what we're doing tell one friend in the guitar community about us Um, we very much appreciate you taking time to to listen to us yammer about guitar stuff we have a lot of fun doing it and we hope you have fun listening so until next time thank you for listening and thanks for understanding bye